Welcome to the Grassroots Podcast, a platform for agricultural producers to share their stories and engage with consumers. We are your hosts, Aaron and Laura. Courtesy of the coronavirus, the world has had an acute shift in perspective on our food system. We seem to be more aware of the important links in the chain that get our food conveniently to the grocery store. More than ever, I've seen people thanking food producers and truckers. Well, the Hawks family is both of those, and although this episode was recorded before coronavirus started to impact our lives, it is really interesting to hear the perspective of a family who both raises the food and hauls it to you. Here is their story. Hey, well, we are, my husband is Christopher, and I am Danielle Hawks, and we have got five kiddos, Um, and just to give you a little background, I came from a trucking family. We've been in the transportation industry since, since the 70s, so we've been doing that, and Christopher comes from a ranching family for how many years? Um... I'm fifth generation. Fifth so generation. We've been doing either farming or ranching um, in this part of the country ever since it was started. So true. So so um, we've kind of just combined everything that we came from and created our own little circus that we love. And so now we're doing both. We're ranching and doing the trucking industry. So um, as far as as each operation when we were first married, that was one thing that I think really drew us to each other is we both wanted to be involved in agriculture. We were both into FFA and 4-H and things like that, but we both um, both definitely wanted the ranching lifestyle. That's how we wanted to have a family. And Christopher's, as far as growing up on the ranch, your dad, it was a, more of a part-time thing. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so, so growing up... Um uh, our ranch used to be a lot bigger when I was a little kid and then grandpa lost a lot of it. And so it went to a fairly small operation where dad had a, a town job. And um, so me and my brother had to do a lot where my dad had a town job. We weren't running nearly as many cows back then. And so it was a lot easier for us to get by. But uh, um, I always thought it was cool. The next door neighbors that were able to spend all day working cattle and riding across miles and miles and we had a smaller place and so I always had a draw to try to like I want that for my full-time job um, because morning come home and then work all evening and then get a few hours of sleep and do it the next day anyways it just it seemed like uh it was an enjoyable thing, and so, but well, we really enjoyed the agriculture part of it and and raising livestock. Um, there's just a, a joy that you get when you see the green grass in the spring and the new babies hitting the ground in in the, the spring and marking the calves in the fall. And um, alongside being in agriculture, it's just uh, a very diverse set of people that you surround yourself with that you're in the industry with, and um, that uh, I wanted to have my children around those type of people also. 
So, so when we um, were first married, I married Christopher and he had, I think you had 10 cows. Yeah, I had 10 cows. And one horse and a whole, a couple of pigs. Yeah, we had some right there yeah and we both knew that this was the lifestyle we wanted and we wanted to expand and so so this winter we're calving out 300 about 380 80 cows and about 75 heifers so we've definitely been able to grow but it hasn't been conventional um it's been a little different we haven't been able to to buy ground and do all the things that we want to do and we've been able to purchase a few things here and there but um, for the most part, we've been able to lease a lot. That's helped us out with growing our operation more than anything has been leasing. So we um, we own about 50% of the ground we run on, and then we lease about 50%. And what part of that is a small farm that we put up some grass hay on. And then we have the permits also. And then, yeah, we uh, so our cows stay in how where we live pretty much winter spring and fall Mm -hmm. and then we summer on a BLM permit up in Idaho and then we also summer in the Eden area and Eden Liberty Utah area and then a little bit in Cache Valley Cache Valley and yeah some meadows so meadow stuff yeah that's kind of our operation and then on the other side of it um Christopher got in on the trucking with my family but I was sucked into it he was, was sucked into it yeah we <laughs> we needed him but he uh he really started basically his own division because we always um my parents side of it is definitely flat bedding and dry vans and then christopher started a livestock division and so when i say division it's not huge you've got a, yeah. he's running a couple of trucks doing um livestock and then just got into some pneumatic trailers so. and, and it was a similar thing um i just always seem to have a draw towards that type of people the livestock and the, livestock, and the... the producers and and that's generally you know a fairly honest group as a whole to deal with and so that's yeah. kind of you're just drawn to it just drawn to it <laughs> one thing that's sometimes overlooked is the fact that ranchers are biologists, um, you know, they care for the ground in, in really important ways. And I know that in BLM ground with that permit, you're only allowed a certain amount of cattle. So can you talk to us a little bit about your range and how you manage it, um, whether it's the ground that you own or the ground that you're leasing and what that looks like for your ranch? Yeah, so I, I guess as far as, as managing our ground, um, that's probably where most of my time is spent trying to manage uh we like to do rotational grows uh rotational grazing where we're only in certain pastures which is a lot of work to make you know 100 to 200 acre pastures that you're only in for a few days with water sources and whatnot but um we're actually truly be known we are grass farmers we're not cattle ranchers um our cows are a way of of harvesting our crops that we're producing. Um, we, especially on a lot of our flatland pastures, we we like to go in there and put in varieties of grass that very balance out the soil. So um, like your grasses will pull nitrogen out of the ground, um, but your alfalfa will put it back in. And so we, we try to build balance uh, 
I don't know, forage. Yeah, balanced forage that the cattle use. You know, we like to have forage coached in the wintertime for them to use and, and taller grass that's above the snow. Um, and then, you know, I think the worst thing you can do to your ground is, is to graze that same pasture every spring, you know, for 10 years, eventually it'll kill itself out. So we do a rotation. If we graze one of our fields in the springtime, we won't come back into it for three more years. Um, just to manage and keep that ground healthy. If your ground isn't healthy, um, it won't produce the tonnage that you need. So your cows will eventually have to downsize the numbers. And, and that's where it's been our biggest is we haven't had a ton of opportunities to acquire a lot of acres. And so we've tried really hard to um, make the acres that we work, the make, make the acres that we have work for us so that we can run the cow, num the numbers of cows to sustain us and uh it's been a, a quite a learning curve over the past uh the past however long we've been doing this for yeah but, we've been uh, married for 15 years yeah now, and so. and when we you know kind of took over the ranch it was you know take 98 percent of the grass and then you know come back into it that same time and um a lot of trial and error and talking to neighbors um has really helped us out to understand and a lot of continuing education classes Continue, too that yeah, have we've, helped we've, us we've out tried as well. To learn about you know the balance and um, you know soil health and and plant health, and so that that's that's been good. And and there's been a lot of uh, places if you look to have those those types of things taught to you. Um, as far as is what we figure, um, like an AUM is animal units per month. Um, that's what the BLM goes by. And an animal unit is either uh, a cow and a calf. A calf being less than a year old is one unit together. And so um, we kind of figure out here in, in the Howell area, West Box Elder County, we're right around 17 acres per cow per year. And so our animal is, you know, we're, I think we're 1.4 AUMs is kind of what we produce. And then you know, our lowland pastures are closer to half, half an acre per month to, and, to, to sort of sustain a, a cow. And it's important that the, that the BLM work with ranchers on that because um, that's their way of preserving that ground and that forage, right? Um, you know, when issues in Utah come up like wild horses, um, that's really relevant to our state. And that AM or AUMs is significant because the BLM and the people in the national departments who have determined that know what that ground can sustain and those horses are not part of that equation. Have you guys had any trouble exactly. with that on your ground? So so on our BLM we that we run on, um, it's actually kind of a, a random deal, but BLM usually ends up with flat ground and forest ends up with the mountain ground. Our BLM happens to be a mountainous range. Um, and it, and so we don't have any problems per se with uh, wild, horses. wild horses. I do have some neighbors that have some problems, but it is always in our best interest on our BLM ground. Um, we do everything that we can to try to keep our cattle in the right spots for the reason that we've been running on that range for, I don't know, my whole life. And if we destroy that range or try to hurt it in any way or don't spend any time trying to rehab 
anything and um, we will eventually lose that. And when I say lose it, I mean our AUMs will go down and it'll make it so it's not even cost effective as far as to put our cows on a truck to go to Idaho. Um, you know, the wild horses is the same thing. Um, those guys that have those horses come in, they'll come into a place with 10,000 AUMs, um, but they'll have 2,500 head of horses on it. Uh, they'll come into them areas and there'll be no feed for the cattle to come into. And if they were to put the cattle out, um, and so, you know, I don't know many ranchers in the area that we live in that um, actually try to hurt the ground because if they do, it's not going to be there for them the next year. And if you continue to do that, it's just so important that we keep our ground health healthy. Um, on our, our BLM permit, we, one of our biggest things up there is probably hunting and um, the four-wheelers running every different direction yeah and those guys like to drive up the bottoms and not have them all pounded out so when i say pounded out i mean you know everything taken out in a big dust poof so we always try to you know keep the cattle on the high sides which they do better either way and, um, and then it benefits the people that are there for recreation and, yeah, and recreation. our cows at and the end like of the I day say, you know i think any, anything good a good partnership works good with everybody involved and um, you know, it'd be cool to be along with our own, but, uh, you know, that's not a, that's not a feasible thing. And so the, even uh, though we do pay to use it, well, yeah, we do pay to use it, but the, open. the people, you know, the recreational group's going to use it. And, you know, if you don't have a good partnership with them guys, then they just, you know, when I say a good partnership, they're leaving gates open and doing things, you know, that way. And if they, uh, always, uh, you know, appreciate and things look nice, I think it's a, a good thing so one thing i wonder about if consumers know is that how different the aums are in different areas mm -hmm. so like it like you know i think sometimes they just see acres and that equates to dollar signs when when really you can have a lot of acres and not be able to feed that many cows on it yeah yeah so so you know better parts like i said in the lower pastures were where the grass is belly high, those cows, I mean, it takes hardly any acres to run that same amount of cows. Um, you know, 17 acres is a fair amount. We have some ground that's probably even lower than that, that would probably be closer to like 40 acres to sustain a cow for a year. And so, I mean, it takes so dang much ground, but there's just not a ton to it. Is that, is that what you're getting at? Yeah. I was just like how different it is. Yeah. How different east it is. And... Yeah. So back East, uh, they'll actually have cows per acre instead of acres per cow. So they'll be able to put so many cows on per acre, which is crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that'd be so nice. Yeah. It's just Not have to get on your horse and ride for five miles to find 20 head of cows. That would be. <laughs> yeah. Even in our own state, just water's a different resource. Uh, you know, Arizona strip country, Southern Utah country. Yes. Really different. Oh man, yeah, those guys are. Oh yeah, like we should feel fortunate we, with seventeen. We are. Yeah, really. <laughs> acres cow. Yeah. So all of this BLM talk is throwing me back to our trip to Washington D.C., um, where we had the opportunity mm -hmm. to go to the BLM office through Farm Bureau and talk to the director, the deputy director director at the time, and he said something cool to us. He said, 
you know, it's unfair that you guys have issues in the West and you had to drive 2,000 miles to talk to us about it here in Washington, D.C. Um, I thought that was really cool. You guys also had the opportunity to vocalize some trials that you've had in the transportation industry. Um, do you mind speaking on that for a second? No, we'd love to. So a, a few issues that um, the trucking industry is facing right now, and, and none of it's new. It's been going on for a while. but. Um, we're a heavily government regulated industry transportation i mean you've, you've we've all seen the port of entries on the side of the of the interstates and um you know they're they're tracking everything we do we have to keep track of every mile driven in every state every gallon bought in every state i mean we're so i mean we're definitely um very watched over and unfortunately it's because you know there's been this few poor a few accidents possibly that has made our industry look pretty bad when really um, the problem wasn't as bad as I think it is. And what I'm referring to there is um, taking our driver's logs and making them, connecting them to the engines of the trucks. So they've mandated that. It's called an ELD, an electronic logging device, which is industry-wide. Um, luckily, the... Um, Agriculture has been able to get away from that, so that's been a blessing. But it's still—I mean, for consumers, every everything arrives on a truck somewhere, so it still affects a lot. And what what that does is it's made our drivers basically have to run tired and um, take breaks when they're not ready for them, or break longer than is necessary. And so. And that, along with the breaks, there I have to say is the reason why the the, the agriculture industry is exempt yeah. is because um, when you have a load of hogs on or a load of cows going somewhere, um, if you stop your semi and park it on the side of the road and take a ten-hour nap, which they're required to take, um, you know those hogs obviously they'll I mean, cook to death die. in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, even in the wintertime when it's cold, uh, they have to constantly have air flowing through those trailers. They would asphyxiate with the ammonia on the hogs and then the cattle, same deal, you know. Some guy's headed down to Farmer John's in LA and he has to stop in- Which uh, is a kill plant which in is a kill Los plant Angeles. In Los Angeles, they would, uh, you know, have to stop somewhere around Las Vegas and take 10 hours off. Well, what's it like in Las Vegas in July, you know? A little, they would never be able to, to make that and so so that's that's been fortunate that the that you know the government they figured that out and was able to exempt the ag industry from that because there was a lot of reasons for it but it's still it's still been an issue and the technology that exists for the devices i mean it's not great and so we have a lot of problems with um uh equipment failures and then what do you do gps, GPS tracking, tracking when failures. Right. i mean it's a just a lot just a lot of headaches that have gone along with it um but another thing that's speak on the technology side is our trucks right now are so electronically ran that you can't diagnose problems in them very easily so you know it used to be able back you know a few years ago a truck would break down you could get it in the shop and possibly back out in the same day because you had good mechanics who knew what was going on just by a symptoms just like a good doctor they can tell well now 
all you get is flashing codes on your dash and it'll automatically start shutting your truck down. And so you're first you have to find a qualified shop and a qualified mechanic. And that's not always easy to do oh, these days. West. And so especially out West. So now instead of these trucks breaking down and holding up a, a load, for a day, it could end up being a week and it, it it's at least a few days and it they're hard to fix. They're hard to diagnose. So technology is amazing and it's a great thing, but um, it's, it's kind of hurt us in a lot of ways in the transportation industry. This episode is brought to you by the Utah Farm Bureau Federation, whose motto is to inspire all Utah families to connect, succeed and grow through the miracle of agriculture. For more information, visit www.utahfarmbureau.org. That, that problem is so unique to agriculture because hauling live animals is something that it's an issue that people need to be aware of. It's different when it's a truck full of dry goods. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you think or, and hope that all of the animal activist groups could get behind finding solutions to support the transportation industry to to ease that commodity transfer and make it a healthier thing for the animals. Exactly. For sure. And I mean, as far as the transportation industry, it, I mean, everything goes on a truck. I mean, it would probably blow your mind if you knew every single day how many loads of pigs get hauled or how many loads of cows. Like it's just like it's something that just we haul into a kill plant almost uh, four, four, four days out of four the week. Four days a week. Four days a week. And it doesn't matter if it's Christmas or anything. Those farmers have to ship their product. They can't. There's no room on their farm for their, for their cattle or for their hogs because there's a new bunch always coming in. And so, I mean, they have to constantly be going. And You know, and that brings up, this was actually a really hard Christmas for our family because. That's great. It was not. <laughs> no, it was terrible. We, uh, it was really hard for our family because Christopher's Christmas to work. So, I mean, Christopher was gone hauling pigs for Christmas. And it was, it, it just, you know, I don't think a lot of people think about these these types of things. I mean, it's hard, you know, to. Yeah. yeah I mean, I would rather have been hauled by family, but, you know, those things needed to go. And. You know, like with anything, we don't ever get a holiday. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter if it's snowing, if it's raining outside, or or if it's uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It's on yeah. both sides, both. Uh, and I don't know why we decided to combine ranching and trucking, which are both pretty unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> but we did, and it's the circus we're living. But it's good. I have a inkling as to why you did that, and it's just because every farm and ranch needs to be diversified. And you just can't have all your so eggs in the basket anymore. So, you know, on, in, in my family, I've kind of experienced this fifth and sixth generation farmer thing with my husband. But um, even though there were generations before us, they never farmed in 2020. So in, in some mm -hmm. respects, you know, hearing you guys talk about range management and nitrogen, that's not something that our great, great grandparents ever had to, ever had to deal with. And it's good that we have that science, but there's a big there's a big burden on us to um, give up our holidays, but also be responsible, sustainable stewards of the land. It's way challenging. And 
from the outside, mm-hmm. it sometimes feels really simple. Like that kill plant should just close on Christmas. And oftentimes like our kill plant is, but, but it's not the day after. And, and it, if it takes eight hours to drive to that kill plant or 12 hours to drive to California, you're committed. It's just a snowball effect. And I feel exactly. for you guys. Uh, yeah, but uh, people still eat on those days. So they, gotta yeah. have their, they still got to have their food. So no, no, it's, it's, it's a life that we chose and, and we're happy. And I get an immense amount of uh, satisfaction, whether, you know, a load of hogs that are ready for slaughter that are just looking great. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I do get a sense of pride because, you know, that farmer worked so hard to get them to that particular size and weight. And then on our side, we, you know, we, we get, get them there safely and on time and so that the plants continue to run. And same thing when, when we walk a load of calves onto a semi to get shipped off to a feedlot or, or when a fattened beef walks into the kill plant. I mean, there's just so much joy knowing that we did that. We kept it alive. I don't know, sometimes that seems like a challenge just it to is. keep everything alive and healthy and, and it is a, you know, as cheaply as possible and efficiently as possible. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it makes you feel good to be able to have the option to, to feed people and, and not only to feed people, but to give them, I feel like in our opinion, a very, um, good product yeah quality product quality product that's, you know been grown with you know love and care and yeah I mean we're, we're not just doing it for for the money if we were doing it for money we wouldn't be we wouldn't have cows <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is the industry we would be in if we were just in it to get rich because that's yeah. not what's happening but but we truly love it. I can't think of a better way for us to raise our kids. And, like, and, and that's probably one thing I say to the kids, you know, that we do raise cattle, but probably more importantly to us is um, giving our our kids an opportunity to work and actually do super hard things. Um, so our our kids occasionally, you know, every time a storm comes through and happens to be calving, our garage will be full of uh, sick calves and or cold calves. Cold, cold calves, I'm sorry. Yeah, cold and chilled calves. And so I come and drop them off, and the kids are in charge of drying and rubbing them down while I'm out on my horse getting them in so I can keep everything straight. And, you know, it, it, it's so great. Uh, we have a few extra calves now. The kids are required to wake up before school and get the bottle fed and, and um, bottles made and get the calves fed. And um, I feel more so than anything to see the growth that uh, comes from your children as they have to keep things alive and have consistent hard things to do every day is uh, probably one of the and this is one thing Chris always says and I love it because it's usually when we're getting busy and it is easier to just run out and do things ourselves it's faster it's more efficient but Christopher always reminds me we're not just raising cows we're raising kids so that's that's what we're doing here and Yep. I, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> I don't know. They're not that old yet. Yeah, so. <laughs> they're so young. <laughs> but they know how to work. I'll give them that. Yeah, they know how to work. That's for sure. Okay. If you guys had one sign-off signature message that you could give to consumers about the part of the ag industry you're involved in, what would it be? 
Or whole marriage, you've had the last word. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> to consumers? <laughs> to consumers, I would say... The thing that keeps coming to my mind is just next time you're you're buying your piece of meat from the store is think about for a minute what went into that because it's a it's a heartfelt experience on our end and a lot of time and effort went into that. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do is go if she, if Dan, I go with Danielle to town, um, I'll go into a, a store and and carouse the meat section and see what things are priced for and and whatnot but you know like i say uh you know every piece of meat took somebody a lot of work to get it to that point and then once they got it to that point it had to go on a truck alive and then it had to go on a truck when it was hanging and then to you know if i could if i could help people to understand that you know as a cattle farmer whether you're a cattle farmer whether you're a sheep producer um the, the amount of time that goes in and in, in preservation and making their own ground produce and be a sustainable thing and people that own permits are able to use blm ground um my whole life i feel this way is i felt like that was a piece of my ground that i took care of just just as much as the public ground as i did of my own personal ground and how how uh we just really want our ground to be healthy and and sustainable and more so than anything importance it is is for that is we're asked to do more with less and so that has to be that has to be so in the conservation so i i, I sometimes think there's a misnomer that us cattle ranchers will go to a field or a BLM and we'll stock it with million and two head and it'll hold, you know, not nearly that many cows and we're taking everything. That is completely untrue. Um, you know, like anything else, there may have been a, a bad egg in the basket and they've got a bad uh, a wrap for a lot of the people that, that run on government ground. But, you know, that's probably one of the things that I would like to sign off with is the importance of taking care of all of our ground because it doesn't benefit us to ruin it. So another um, trial that our transportation industry is facing right now is there's a definite driver shortage. Um, it, there's a, most of our drivers are older and um, there's not a lot of the new generation as a career path, which I can understand that it's a hard thing. It's hard to be away from your family. I grew up with a dad who did that Full time. I mean, this this was how I grew up. Was dad was was gone two nights and then home one night and then gone two nights and home one night. And so I understand that it is a, a hard lifestyle, but it is it is an important industry. So I I don't know what we can do to encourage people to want to drive these trucks and to be a part of our industry because there is a lot of we get a, we get a lot of bad rap. I, I I worry about our industry because I mean things have to get places and if people aren't willing to drive these trucks, I question. And that's what's one thing you cannot do more with with less. You have to have. I mean, they can't haul anymore. Yeah, you know, we're limited on our weights. We're limited on our length and size of our vehicles. And so I mean, we're locked in. There has to be, and, and as our 
population growth, it's just that many more trucks that need to be to be able to keep everybody having their overnight Amazon and their every other thing that they enjoy, you know, that all comes on a truck. Thanks for listening to the Grassroots Podcast. If you loved the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend, and we will see you next time.